Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm Molly Bryant. I'm Justin Sanders. And I'm JC Cortez. You're about to hear a very special, the very first episode of the very first podcast from BigIfTrue.org. This is Hard Reset. Of course, if you haven't yet, we encourage you to visit the website and sign up for the Hard Reset newsletter. It's our weekly magazine-style newsletter delivering original essays and reporting from our brilliant minds over at BigIfTrue.org. In this new weekly podcast, we will sit down with the writers from Big If True, dig into the topics you'll read about during the week. We get their personal guidance. We get highlights of the stories they've written and maybe some fresh info and context which didn't make it onto the web and you can't find anywhere else. So, and I'm pretty excited about this. Let's get started. Awesome. Thank you, JC. So like I said, I'm Justin Sanders. I'm here with Molly Bryant. Molly, you're Big If True's founder and the editor. For this first episode, before we get into anything else, I thought maybe we could take a couple of minutes and talk about Big If True for anybody that maybe isn't familiar with us, might not know about your work yet. Um, so yeah, like what can you tell us about the site? Yeah, definitely. So um, we launched as a nonprofit this year and our um, site has two parts to the mission, basically. So the first part is we're there to fight misinformation, hoaxes, and that kind of thing. And also add voices from flyover country to the national dialogue. Um, but a lot of what we do in the day-to-day is uh, fact-checking and kind of looking at some of the misinformation that's out there. Cool. So would you call yourself kind of like a, a watchdog for other journalistic outlets? Like, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's definitely true. And that's a lot of what we do um, because there's a lot of, there are a lot of partisan outlets, especially that have um, content that needs to be fact-checked. Okay. And that brings us to what we're going to discuss today. For our first episode, we're going to, first of all, define misinformation. So Molly, what can you tell us about that? Okay. Well, so the first, there are like five terms and they can be kind of confusing to describe uh, information that's not real, not accurate. Um, So the first word, the first term that I think a lot of people know is uh, fake news. And that started out originally, it um, meant like hoaxes, completely fake things like bananas are going to give you AIDS kind of stories that are completely uh, fabricated and not real. Um, that term was kind of reappropriated by uh, certain parties, including uh, President Trump, to mean basically anything that people disagree with is fake news. Um, so there's that. But also um, there's the term misinformation, which basically means false information that may be have may have been created to like intentionally mislead people but not necessarily um so there's that term there's also disinformation which is fake information like misinformation but the source is a government um so what you're saying, it sounds like to me, like both, both mis and disinformation are like intentionally trying to confuse people. Is that fair to say? Um, not necessarily because like misinformation can be spread by people who don't realize that it's fake. So a good example is uh, 
the anti-vaxxer community. So a lot of people are spreading that information and it's definitely fake and it's definitely misinformation, but they might not necessarily know that's the case or accept that it's the case. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, that information is intended to be false and to mislead people. Mm, so do you think we've seen that kind of rising in our current political discourse? Like what's the state of misinformation right now, in your opinion? Um, I think it's pretty bad. And actually there was a, a Pew Research Center study that came out recently and found that uh, most Americans think misinformation is a problem, but only one in 10 people think it's going to get better. So I think most Americans are pretty concerned about this problem. And you can see it through, like running through our culture and uh, our politics right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so here's a question that kind of springs to my mind from what you've been saying. Do you think that the news media is like effectively addressing misinformation? Are they part of the problem? And like, where does Big If True fit in kind of to that whole landscape in your opinion as the editor? Well, I think a lot of nonpartisan outlets are trying to fight it. Um, but also there's partisan media. Um, like part of what has happened the last few decades, I guess, is fewer people are reading local news. And so what they're doing instead, they're reading like national sources that are more likely to be partisan. Um, and that's uh, part of why I was interested in starting the site is just kind of addressing that, that disconnect, but from, uh, you know, from a, a different, from a red state perspective, I guess, because we all live in, uh, politically red states, so we might be a little bit more aware of the type of misinformation that's out there um, on the partisan end. Um, and what was your, what was the rest of your question? Well, just kind of, you know, you addressed it a little bit talking about partisan media, but like, obviously, we probably can all agree that news media, you know, they're not to blame, but they could probably do a better job sometimes of addressing misinformation or disinformation, right? Like, do you have any examples of that from like recent news stories? I know I could think of a couple. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I think one thing I'll say overall is um, there are a lot of bad habits that I think we could all try to break as journalists. For instance, uh, headlines are a big problem. Putting uh, quotes that are not accurate in headlines happens a lot um, or just, a claim that was not accurate and was put into the headline or tweets and no one's going like it's possible that people might not read past the headline. So that's an example. Um, sometimes there are quotes that are used in a story and, um, but they're not acknowledged as being false in the story. So that's a pretty big problem. Um, yeah. Tell me what examples you were thinking of. Well, um, you know, we have some some materials here they put together for the show. And I see you talked about like the Nancy Pelosi video that that was so crazy to me. Um, just a refresher like the I know Rudy Giuliani, I think, tweeted it, maybe um, retweeted by the president's account. But it was basically a video that was edited to deceptively make it seem like she was speaking in a way that she wasn't really speaking on the actual like source videos. And it's not the first time. And um, I, I would love to talk about some of kind of like how technology is being used as a big part of this. 
Um, I think people have heard the term deep fakes, but maybe they don't really know exactly what that means. Um, and then also like, is technology allowing people that want to spread this information to kind of target what they know or like the, the weak spots or like the parts of the parts where I guess what I'm asking is, do people understand now more than ever, like what to manipulate? Like, I think we saw that in the last election, um, you know, specific things that are part of this psyche that can maybe be more and more manipulated as time goes on. It seems like, like, is that something that you've seen in your work or, um, basically how, how is it changing? How is the information landscape changing in a way that can lead to more or maybe, you know, solutions to the problem too? Like big if true obviously is a, is a website and online outlet. So what do you see as like the, the pros and cons of the new media landscape when it comes to misinformation and truth and reporting and stuff like that? Sorry, that's a pretty broad question. Yeah. Well, like the weirdest thing I'll say is that we, as, uh, people with internet connections right now, we have access to any kind of information, like uh, accurate information that has been produced historically in the world. And yet, like, a lot of us are choosing not to pursue that. Um, but yeah, it it's a huge problem because of technology. Yeah, so a deep fake is something that uh, is really just beginning to be popular uh, or or really possible. And it's where you take a video or an audio file of someone and it's manipulated in such a way that, uh, for example, you could have Nancy Pelosi in this video giving a speech that she never said. You could put words in her mouth and give her actions that were uh, compiled from uh, maybe an, uh, somebody who's specifically uh, recording like as an imposter or somebody who has recorded something as a, uh, like a spoof or parody, but you using uh, computer animation, it makes it appear to the, where that person is really giving the speech and people who use this in, in a malicious way, uh, it really gives them a new method to trick a lot of people. And if national media or if, uh, big firms like Facebook are not agile and they're not able to identify these and uh, put some kind of warning out or, or delete them or, or fight it in some way, you're going to reach a lot of people with this new technology and it's going to trick a lot of people. You're going to influence opinions in this way. Yeah, absolutely. I think JC is dead on with that. Um, just to kind of I, you know, I, I work in tech, so I, I think one way to understand it, and this is kind of a crude example, but say if you've ever seen a video uh, of a bunch of like Obama speeches clipped up in little pieces where he's like singing a song's lyrics by using all the different words, essentially a deep fake is using computers and machine learning to do that in a very convincing way where everything he's ever said, every facial expression he's ever made can be blended into basically, like JC said, an, an animated thing that looks like a real video. And this is a huge problem for celebrities, public figures of all kind. Basically, anyone that has hours of video footage of them speaking, it can, the computers can learn from this and create these, these type of things. And, you know, I, I think what we're seeing right now, um, maybe one party or another party is accusing their opponent of exploiting these things or, you know, what you, you talked about the origin of the term fake news. But at the end of the day, it's not like this is going to only be used, you know, to affect one side of the debate. Like this type of 
deception is going to eventually be weaponized against every end of the political spectrum, every different participant in it, um, by it, whether it's another country, another political party, anything like that. So I think anyone that maybe is not worried about this type of misinformation just because it doesn't, it hasn't affected their point of view yet it is being very short-sighted because that's, that's not a realistic way to look at the future of that type of technology. Yeah, definitely. And I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, the first thing is the worst thing about deep fakes, I think, is that they're going to make us doubt actual real videos. Like you'll be able, able to kind of throw out, yeah, this is fake. If, if you see something that you don't like or you just doubt for some reason. Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, the real, that's the real danger of all of this stuff, right? Is like, and, and we've seen it so much already kind of you you talked about it to, to go back to it again when fake news meant a specific type of article but then it got applied to anything you didn't agree with uh basically it became a way to just dismiss anything that you don't like in in the news cycle um and that's very dangerous if you're someone that thinks that objective news and reality and reporting should be kind of the standard that we use to judge you know decisions we're going to make politically or socially or you know as a government so it definitely, it's not just about what misinformation are they sharing. It's what type of future expectations is that creating, you know, in our discourse. And that's really the scary part. So I think you're dead on with that. Yeah, I remember the other thing I was going to say um, was just that that Nancy Pelosi video, like that was not actually a deep fake. Like that was just someone slowing it down. And that was powerful enough to, you know, get, 2.8 million views before someone took it down. Like that was a weird thing. So, and then another example I just thought of um, that was kind of mind-boggling to me. If you remember uh, the Jim Acosta White House briefing room video confrontation, where the White House press secretary tweeted a video that had been altered. It, well, again, not a deep fake, but it was a skillfully edited video that only you know sped up it for a for a millisecond to make it look like what he had actually done was different than how it looked in the raw video um this is the type of thing where even even without you know the type of technology that jc was talking about that definitely is coming and already exists already we're seeing um pretty pretty clever yet low-tech ways to completely change the media narrative or you know what people can say this is reality this is reality they all have their own version okay and so like we've talked about now, uh, technology is really increasing the reach of this kind of thing because we've had, we've had, like you talked about chopping up videos, we've had uh, deceptively edited videos since the beginning of the internet. But since people are now using the internet as their primary information source and their primary method of interacting with the people around them and uh, news organizations, and really getting their information from a lot from more places than just news organizations, uh, we see this stuff leaking into mainstream news cycles. We see misinformation making its way all the way, you know, famously with uh, Trump's Twitter account, uh, with uh, accounts surrounding him. But you have the same stuff on on uh, both sides as people are funding this information war. Yeah, definitely, and I I think. Yeah, the power of Twitter, like Trump is really good at, at, at using that and reaching his audience that way. To JC's point, like it's definitely not just Trump. Like, you know, it hasn't come out like the degree to what this was going on. But the famous Trump repliers, the Krasenstein brothers, 
they were permanently banned from Twitter for manipulating their engagement using fake accounts. Uh, and so like, that's just a, an obvious example. You see a Trump tweet and one side says, this is all the things that are wrong about this tweet. And then the next reply under it is someone that was apparently also manipulating. You know, they were disagreeing with them, but they were apparently using different techniques to inflate their own position. So again, I think any one side can't take like all the high ground here. Like this is something everyone has to deal with like on a level plane. I mean, I think that there's a point to be made there because, um, because you have people that are pretty plugged in. You have people that pay attention to the news as much as they you know, can or, or people, um, but you have a whole other set of the population who's not really paying attention to that, who might catch a news story on the radio while they're in the car, or they might see something that, you know, some friends of theirs have posted on Facebook, but they're not getting deep into it. And the default idea, I believe, in American culture right now is, you know, politics is, is a, it's a game between people who can be really disconnected from, from our, our daily lives. And so um, they, you know, believe that everybody's kind of being dishonest and, and they fall uh, where, well, we know that people choose politics uh, based on in-groups a lot of time. And so, um, like we talked about living in red states, we know a lot of people who it's just kind of their default way. You know, it's, it's the, the ethic that's kind of in the air. But um, it just, like politics doesn't reach their daily lives. And so if you're only getting four or five news stories every couple of days, or you're only reading headlines, and you're reading it from sources, or your, you know, your local TV, if it's being, uh, the channel you're, you're watching is being bought up by a national conglomerate, then um, it's really easy to get stuck in kind of a universe that uh, is based on very few facts. And if you don't have reliable facts, then uh, it's easy to have conflict with a lot of other people. False balance is this idea where you take something, an argument that people are having, uh, we can use the anti-vaxxer idea again, you can use climate change, where there's a pretty established scientific consensus on one side and let's say you're a, a news show, you're bringing in one person from the anti-vaxxer crowd and one person from the pro-vaxxer crowd and presenting those as if they're two equal sides. Same thing with climate change. Uh, the common example I've heard people use is if you're going to have that kind of discussion on camera, you should have 97 scientists on the, on the climate change side and then have you know just three scientists on the other side just to represent the true... Uh, the true divide. Um, so false balance, it gives people this false impression that uh, both sides are equal. And so it gives that lesser side much more weight than it deserves. Yeah, and that's a huge problem. I, I think uh, there's this other term, which is the liar's dividend. And what that means is um, basically whenever you fact check something or debunk some kind of information, what you're doing is kind of legitimizing the position that uh, uh, that the false information is coming from. So you're paying them a dividend. Like if people see that fact check who believe the false narrative, like they're basically going to think that it gives their position more credence that you're even like perceived as like debating about it or something like that. So it's a huge barrier to getting the truth out if you're, tr- if you're, you know, in the business of trying to debunk this information. 
Absolutely. So very cool. I learned a couple new terms there, false balance and liar's dividend. Um, I appreciate that, guys. I thought we had a pretty good uh, just kind of opening discussion about misinformation, disinformation, kind of the state of uh, you know that discourse in the country right now. Um, before we go, um, we do want to talk about what's going on on the website this week, Molly. Um, so what do you have for us coming out on Big If True that our listeners can go over to bigoftrue.org and check out? Yeah, definitely. So um, I have a fact check up. It's uh, asking the question if the Hatch Act, uh, if it conflicts with the freedom of speech. So there's that one. Um, also, I kind of, there's this theme of uh, folks uh, claiming they've been censored if they're kicked off of a platform for hate speech or misinformation. So I just did kind of a little roundup of sometimes that that has happened. Um, so that's what you can find on bigiftrue.org. Great. Definitely go over and check those stories out, guys. Um, we really would appreciate that. And of course, thank you so much for listening to our inaugural episode. Uh, Hard Reset is hosted by JC Cortez, me, Justin Sanders, and Molly Bryant. This episode was produced by me. Our theme is Oh No by Hartle Road. Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. Support us at BigIfTrue.org slash support and subscribe to our newsletter at BigIfTrue.org slash hard reset. <laughs>